0: This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers—they're here to help.
1: He has time launches it to the end
2: zone. Touchdown! Terrence Williams it goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He puts Oh, he's, going to down. Red, 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 red. he's, he's the Red Raider, the ten. him up the right
1: sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first. FCS
0: Championship. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, in studio with Mike Craven. Mike, your stuff for the magazine is all turned in. How does it feel?
1: I have not smiled this much, maybe <laughs> since I was 12 <laughs> or 13 why you're so happy. years old.
0: Yeah, I've, I feel like I've, you know, I've known you for a couple of years and like... I feel like I, that's the most nervous I've seen. Not nervous, but like anxious I've seen you about writing because admittedly, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, we put a lot on the college writer. And this is, of course, your first year working as the college writer. Um, you've obviously written before for the magazine in, in some capacity. But, you know, this is this was every bu- the bulk of that college section is going to be stuff you put together. And I remember when you got your assignment, you're like, am I going to be good on this? <laughs> well, for me, it
1: was. You don't, it's the logistics sure, of it. Sure, You know, it's like, okay, you get this whole list. And mm-hmm. I think it was 25 assignments. Right. And it was like, how do you tackle this? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how do you start knocking off some chunks? And originally, I wasn't all that nervous because I had like six weeks. I was right. like, cool, I can just start doing this. Fine. But when you start doing it, you're like, oh, I can't do any of this. Mm-hmm. Because how do you start writing the Texas section mm-hmm. in end of March? You can't. Right. You got to do it at the end of Spring April. So like, yeah. it's just like. Uh, yeah, I w- that probably you're right. Uh, now that you mention it in that way, you say it in that way, that is probably the most nervous I've ever been for an assignment because I didn't know how to really space it out. Because until you've done something, you don't know if you're on track or not. Sure. So we'd be in a meeting and they'd be like, "How are you doing with your college stuff?" And That's I'd be right. like, I-, "I could be in front, I could be behind. <laughs> right. I have no idea. Like, I, you know. I have no clue." Like right. right now, it ended up being okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you know, I probably yeah in April I was really nervous about like. Will there be, you know, this this company has been going, they've been putting out a magazine for, like, right. you know, 50 years or whatever. Like, am I going to be the, the one who screws it up? I mean, that's right. a lot of pressure. You know, right. like, my grandfather's waiting for this thing. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, it was, uh, as somebody who, like, just grew up in the state who, like, really loved this brand, you know, it's just it was a pressure thing. And I'm not somebody who fear, feels much pressure ever. Sure. So, it was just, like, one of those, like, man, I don't even know what this is. Mm-hmm. Like am I sweating? Like I don't even <laughs> right. know what this feeling is. Like how do you do this? So yeah, it was uh, it feels great to be completely done. Like checking off that last thing was mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. was pretty nice because I kept a note doc and just yeah. kind of like you know when I, so knocking off the cover story was the last thing, and I think that put my Google doc at forty thousand and four hundred
0: words. Okay, nice so, man, that's wild, insane. For
1: those that want it, like a the average novel is ninety thousand, right? You know, so I wrote half of half of. Off, yeah, basically.
0: So. so, welcome, welcome, and uh, you know, to your official initiation into the <laughs> yeah, that's your official full time. Can't initiation. tell me nothing. Then. I was about to <laughs> say, yeah, you, you went through the fall season, which is one thing, but now you actually that's yeah. your real part of your mm-hmm. initiation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. coming on staff, uh, that other voice you heard was Mallory Harley. Mal Pal, how are you doing?
1: Good, I turned in my one article, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for the magazine. You know, you, yeah, so. Exactly. so, Mallory will have a
0: byline in the magazine as well. So, completely stress free now, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm still finishing my stuff. So, you know, it's Speaking of anxiety and stress, uh, that's another story for another day. Um, we'll have some draft talk today. Uh, obviously, the draft happened last week. 32 Texas high school football products were taken, 20 from Texas colleges. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about the transfer portal, uh, Their deadl- that deadline, at least to be immediately eligible. That deadline was May 1st. Of course, we'll still see some people entering the transfer portal, and they'll just have to kind of go through the formal waiver process as far as getting cleared for the fall, uh, we'll talk some news about that. And then we'll continuing our interview series, we're actually, I guess, re-establishing it, I guess, with now with the FCS. Uh, Mike sat down with Sam Houston uh, head coach, Casey Keeler, who's one of my favorite personalities in the state. Um, somebody who is more or less, an, he, he is an FCS lifer, an FCS legend at this point. Um, and I think it is something interesting that he's never seemed to look for that jump right yeah. typically you see you know chris Kleiman or something like that where they they win so much at fcs and they decide eventually there's a new challenge fcs is his thing and uh it's a really good interview mike did with him and i he's just a fascinating personality to me because he's such a boisterous personality as you will definitely see <laughs> um but i love that that i that that confidence that like no i'm actually i don't need to prove myself anywhere mm-hmm. else right i'm good you know, he he coached the Joe Flacco Delaware team. He coached obviously the national title um, Sam Houston team, and so he's like, I this is my realm, and I'm going to dominate it. And now they're actually moving up anyway, so like it's he didn't have to move, and he's still getting the chance to move up to FBS. So
1: it's like the world, like you know concocted a way for right. him to, like, have right. to coach right. FCS football. <laughs> right, yeah, right. I was like, no more, sir. <laughs> right. like, the FCS was like, you can't keep winning playoff games because he's, like, the all-time winningest playoff coach right. in FCS history or whatever. They're like, get out of here. Like, right, like, right. Give someone else a up, chance. You know? <laughs> right, yeah, so, and he played at Delaware. Yeah. So he's, like, a D2 lifer. He just mm-hmm. loves, he just likes that level. It'll be interesting to see kind of how he likes or handles kind of the added headaches, or if there are sure, yeah. any added headaches a- as a head coach. So, Uh, Yeah, that transition for Sam is going to be fascinating.
0: Yep. Uh, Before we get into that, though, I did mention that the draft did happen. Uh, Mike Craven has an article up over all 32 Texas high school football products right now um, up on TexasFootball.com. He breaks down all of them. He talks about their kind of career in high school, their career in college, and kind of their fit. Um, The highlight, obviously, to me was Garrett Wilson going to uh, the New York Jets from Ohio State by way of Lake Travis. He was the easily, I think he might've been the best player I've seen in, in high school, in my opinion. Um, I haven't been doing this as long as other people have, but he's. I saw him three times his junior year and then a couple times his senior year. And he was just that guy that, at a school like Lake Travis, to have a guy that they just say, we just need to get him the ball. Like typically you see that at like lesser programs or like lesser prominent programs where it's like, we have the guy, just get him the ball and he'll carry us wherever we go to do that like Travis and like to the some of the teams that he did that against. I mean uh that uh, you can talk about the Allen game in a bit, that state championship game where he put on a two-way dominating performance, but also they beat Judson in the area round and I thought that Judson team was going to be great and then to see him do it at Ohio State and go on like I don't know, that kid was that kid might be the best team best player I've seen in person. Definitely
1: the best, you know, as an Austin guy, yeah. you know, if you take away Drew Brees as a quarterback, he's he's the best athlete i've ever seen come out of austin mm-hmm. like as a dude who was working at the statesman at the time like when he was coming up like you he started hearing whispers of garrett wilson as a seventh or eighth grader right. late like, travis has this kid who's like doing 360 dunks in eighth grade you're like <laughs> right. you're like what you know like what i asked hank carter one time when's the first time you ever heard the name garrett wilson mm-hmm. and he said it was at a middle school basketball thing you know and it was like there's this kid duncan and he's like oh well what you know like what's he like, you know, what position he's going to play in football next year. And they're like, no, he's in sixth grade, Mm. you know? So, (laughs) like, he's just a freak athlete who was always good. And I ranked him, I I think Powers did as well, Mm -hmm. uh, ranked him number one. And a lot of places by the end of the cycle ended up kind of elevating him to the top. But I remember in the spring, summer, kind of going from his junior to senior year, talking to people, and they had, like, Theo Weiss and, and some other people in front of him. And I always felt that it was an Austin bias Mm, that -hmm, in recruiting, mm -hmm. if it's a skill position guy, you just assume the best one's going to be in Houston or Dallas. Right. And I think Garrett Wilson was one of those guys that is helping Austin's kind of reputation in terms of, of skill because the city of Austin doesn't look the same as it did maybe 20 years ago. And there's more wide receivers and running backs and defensive backs coming out of Austin where it used to just be a quarterback offensive line factory. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think, yeah, it was cool to kind of see him go um, through his uh, progression in college and then to the NFL. To me, the biggest thing that stuck out was how there were so many more high school products taken than college products. Mm-hmm. And to mm-hmm. me, that just shows the problems right now in the in-state schools. And so maybe sure. A&M with mm-hmm. their top five or their top recruiting class changes that. Maybe Sark changes that. But it just shows that the best players in the state are leaving. Mm-hmm. And until the state, the schools in state can figure that out, you know the state of Texas is going to be left out of the college football playoff, and yeah. that's going to continue until until that that trend changes.
0: Yeah, Tyler, excuse me, Tyler Smith from Tulsa, uh, by way of North Crowley, went to the Cowboys, of course. Um, another one was that shocked me. Yeah, that that was that yeah. was a, that was an interesting pick.
1: I uh, so Jerry Jones, you know how he put up his draft sheet, right? On right. A thing? Yeah. My conspiracy theory is that that's a fake draft sheet. Yeah, hundred percent. You know that he like 100%. had somebody print out one and put Tyler Smith at like yes. fifteen or sixteen and be like, hey, we're going to show this to the media. <laughs> right. Let's put
0: this, after te- put this after the here. Texans took Kenyon Green, they're like, oh crap, we got to <laughs> figure out. What we're gonna do. Right. <laughs> so by the way, I do want to give a shout out to the Texans, which I hate to do because I'm a Titans fan, but uh, I think they either subscribe to texfootball.com or they have somebody involved with Texas football on their staff because their three draft picks were Kenyon Green from Texas A&M, Jalen Petrie from Stafford by way of Baylor, and Austin, uh, uh, oh, God, uh, Deculis? Decalus. Deculus from LSU by way of Cy Fair. They just got a bunch of dudes from Houston. <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing. Like, let's just bring them home. Yeah. Like, Nobody Green. else wants to play I here, so to... <laughs> like maybe some hometown kids. Just get <laughs> some hometown guys, but they get – like two but at least two guys that i'm really high on right Kenyon green is going to be i think a phenomenal guard right. Jalen petrie, petrie is um we've we've raved about him so much like i don't know if they just i don't know if, if you if somebody's listening to this podcast that'd be <laughs> great but uh i just love the idea of like them just like yeah let's just get a bunch of guys from houston that are good at the next level and we'll we'll just you know we'll, we'll make some kind of houston uh houston all-star team eventually i don't know but uh yeah i thought that was great
1: Can I give my steal of the draft real quick? Go for it. I think the Chargers in round four getting Isaiah Spiller...
0: Oh, is just
1: incredible. I forgot right? about like that. Some of that's yeah. running back. Just the position of running back doesn't sure. have right. the value in the draft that it used to, and I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. I would never take a running back in the first round, Yeah. but I will take one in the fourth round yeah. <laughs> who can catch the ball out of the backfield, is big enough to take the bumps in the NFL mm-hmm. and is quick enough. You know, you don't need to be fast. You're never going to outrun corners and safeties in the NFL as a running back, right. but if you can outrun linebackers and some safety, you're going to be okay, and Isaiah's got enough speed, enough size to be a really good NFL player. I think in the fourth round, for a Chargers offense that's Pass predominant. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be. He's gonna come in there and offer them some stuff early on that maybe they didn't have to balance out that offense last year.
0: Yeah. You I know think...
1: when the last time they took a running back and uh, didn't take a running back in the first round was? No. Like anyone. Twenty fourteen. Yeah. So it, there's at least one taken every right every year in the first round. It'll but be, I was you know, kind of surprised. It'll be interesting that... to see what happens to like a Bijan Robinson. Yeah. Sure, because sure. like he's undoubtedly. I mean, he's great talent right? wise. He's first yeah. round. Yeah. Right. right. Talent yeah. wise, he's a top ten player in the world. Right. You know. Uh, but if you're a running back, you just, you don't want to commit that kind of money. Look what's happened sure. to the Cowboys. Right. right. Now. You just yeah. don't uh-huh. want to do it. And so I, I'll, i imagine Bajon will be taken in the first round, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. 20 years ago, he'd be a top five pick. Right. right? It would be like LaDainian, Thomason, Ricky Williams, you know, he, Cedric Benson, you know, like he'd be a top five, top 10 pick. Now he'll probably be in the 20s. Mm -hmm. and it's just it's just linebacker and running back yeah uh the positions have really taken a hit and then if you look at this draft if i'm a wide receiver Mm -hmm. right now who's not a star right if i'm not six five and i'm not catching 150 i'm playing corner right Mm -hmm. you know like go play cornerback right because if you look at this draft it clearly shows you that teams need defensive backs Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and so if you're not it's like if you're playing basketball and you're like a six five post, mm-hmm. go play offensive line. Right, 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 right. And if you're a wide receiver and you're not like a just sure fire, Jonte Cook type recruit, go mm-hmm. play some cornerback. Cause yeah. your your opportunities are gonna be so mm-hmm. much more at the college and the pro level because they're harder to find. You go to any rivals camp, any of those type of camps, right? Mm-hmm. And you got a line of receivers that goes. Forever, right, right. You look at the corners in the same ten are doing it over and over and over again. You're like, well, that mm-hmm. that's where it's at. Right. And so I think you see some of that happen more and more. Hopefully, uh because seven on sevens made it to where if you don't have the ball in your hands, you're not any good at football, and that's just a bad, mm-hmm. a bad
0: look. <laughs> right. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, one of the other picks I liked was Marvin Leal to the Steelers, and one that kind of shocked me a little bit was Bailey Zappi to the Patriots. Yeah, I did see that. that. Is yeah. A very. Interesting move. Like yeah. obviously they're gonna
1: go operate him. Or I was whatever. about to say,
0: yeah, I was about to say, like they're gonna like. He was somebody who, again, put up numbers obviously, but in a very particular system. So like you know his pro mm-hmm. prospects a little little bit grade, um, but if you have him in a in a system like that, you know where he's obviously not gonna be counted on either. Like come in and mm-hmm. like have to produce or anything. So if he just shows in a backup role, I don't know. Like there's been dudes that have just made careers about the idea of them playing, right? Like like uh, uh, Chase Daniel. Yeah, right. Where it's just like, oh yeah, we actually haven't seen him play since college, but or like a Colt McCoy too, like a a, a, a trusty backup too. And so uh, that
1: Zappy's going to have like the best career because I I think that's the great. I have an uncle who did that. Will Fuhr did that for ten years in the NFL, right? He just he was a backup quarterback. I think he threw like twenty passes or something like that. Got a pension. Yep. <laughs> you know, got insurance for the rest of his life. He's getting paid like, we we have we more than me. He has some great stories. <laughs> you know? need them. His hips okay. You know what I mean? He's like, in it's, shape. Like, yeah. It's like, you know, uh, not rich, but, you know, yeah. he did all right. And so, yeah, I, I think he, what's interesting to me is I think Bill Belichick has entered this zone of like, we're just going to troll people you know like i'm gonna win doing everything that you say i can't do i'm gonna take some guard nobody's ever heard of in the first round i'm gonna spend a pick on a backup quarterback you know like he's drafting like he's the 95 cowboys or something there's plenty (laughs) of holes there right if i'm mac jones i'm like why are you like aaron (laughs) Rodgers a few years ago it's like give me some talent (laughs) like give us like somebody we can win instead you know and so i'm happy for bailey Zappi, but i do feel like he's kind of a matt Flynn. Sure. Right, where yeah. like the Patriots are going to use them as capital. Mm-hmm. Maybe in a year or two, you get a team who really needs a quarterback. Maybe a draft like this happens where like the Carolina Panthers don't identify somebody that they really like in the draft, and so they, go they and need a quarterback. It's smart. It's like, well, yeah. I got thir- yeah. three-year vet Bailey Zappi right yeah. here that like y'all seen ma- light it up like in the preseason. And land it with
0: Matt Schaub. Exactly. Yeah, to the Texans, and yeah.
1: so uh, I think they'll turn it into some picks later on where it'll be like, man, Bill Belichick's a genius. Oh, right, mm-hmm. right. Again, just do it all day.
0: That, that <laughs> he's all playing like 40 chess. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I like that move for him too. So, uh, like I said, that article's up on textfootball.com. Go check out all the uh, draft, all thirty-two Texas high school football products that were drafted.
1: I, was, I started out. I was like, I'll just do a little draft thing. Yeah, six thousand words. <laughs> right.
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm incapable. I'm, <laughs> I have a real problem. Uh, your problem is That's a benefits. So. Yeah. <laughs> there you <laughs> there go. <we> go. <laughs> um. Anyway, I mentioned at the top of the show that uh, May first was the transfer portal deadline. As far as getting into the portal and being immediately eligible for the fall team uh players can still uh if you've entered the portal before then you can still transfer anywhere and be immediately eligible you can also still technically enter the portal but you have to go i mentioned you have to go through the waiver process you know you have to be cleared before if you're going to play this fall or whatever um if that's your intention so that deadline did pass one name that i think i think one of the biggest names left on that transfer portal uh or yeah in the transfer portal as of a couple of days ago, or sorry, uh, uh, until a couple days ago, was O'Shawn Mathis mm-hmm. from TCU. And I think, myself included, everybody kind of penciled in, uh, Texas has Gary Patterson. They need pass rush. They're going to get O'Shawn Mathis, right? He's from Maynard, right? Just down the road. Well, he ends up at Nebraska. <laughs> um, I believe Texas was in his final two, so he was two between Texas and Nebraska. And uh yeah. Go big red. How did that happen? <laughs> I find this to be unacceptable.
1: Right. Isn't it right? Yeah. Texas, for as long as I've been around, yeah. flaunts how much money that they have for anybody to see. Yeah. Right? They're the Joneses, you know, like everything. And then you get outbid by Nebraska. Like, come They're on. not a good like, Nebraska. You've been, no. waiting, you've been waiting this whole time to just be able to throw your weight around. You need right. an edge rusher. You can't lose those guys. You had Nebraska. a perfect in right. with Gary yeah. Patterson. Well, maybe that hurt them. I was like, about to say, I have yeah. no idea. Uh, you know, you know so the like, relationship, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just have no idea, right? Yeah. And so, like, it does seem like this is a one-year money grab, right? Like, free agency and good on O'Shawn, right? Mm-hmm. Like, go sure. do whatever you need to do. Uh, but if you're Texas and you really want somebody, you can't be losing to Nebraska. You mm-hmm. just can't. You just can't, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like... For me, if I'm a Texas booster, you have to have like a real heart to heart with yourself of like what we want this program to be. And if sure. you want it to be what you think it is in your head, you know, nobody else does. But if if Texas fans want Texas to be Alabama, Ohio State on those same kind of plan, you're gonna have to pony up and, and spend the money. Yeah. And I don't know if their boosters are as organized yet as maybe they need they need to be. But yeah, I, I found that to be completely shocking because Texas should never be outbid by anybody. No. And absolutely so not. Uh, to, you know, and Casey Thompson kind of said something about in a podcast, like in the spring about mm-hmm. like, w- he's making more money at Nebraska than he was at Texas. Right. And people like killed him on online. Like, right. oh, that can't be true. Like, ah, oh, blah, blah, right. just sour grapes. all family's pretty true yeah. i was about to say yeah you lose like i mentioned you how lose. important is football to the university of texas sure mm-hmm. that needs to be determined because at nebraska it's super important to right
0: yeah boosters. i was about to say there. nebraska hasn't been good in a long time and they're trying to get good quick right and so you bring in a casey thompson you bring in a ocean mathis and i guess like for for casey thompson to leave and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't shock me that he would make more money in Nebraska than he would at Texas, right? They're bringing him in the start, right? Texas was clearly like, eh, you're probably not the guy. You know, you're kind of 1A, 1B with Hudson Card in our minds. We have Quinn Ewers here. It's fine. Like, you know. So it wouldn't shock me that, that NIL deals weren't really trying to keep him there. They needed Oshawn Mathis. Yeah. They needed somebody like that. You had his head coach. You had all the leverage. And then you get beat by Nebraska, mm-hmm. who, again, we were making fun of a couple years ago because they were – Complaining that they didn't get to play during COVID, and then they got their butt kicked all throughout 2020, right? So like, they were one of like the biggest vocal, vocal uh, Big Ten programs about uh-huh. like, oh, we can't cancel this season; we got to play on the field, and then they just get smoked, right? <laughs> so they were like the laughingstock. So to lose out on that, and by all indications, you know it is a very lucrative NIL deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's like Oscar Sheboy and men's basketball who's making two million dollars to go back to Kentucky. I don't think it's that, but the point is. I think uh, somebody tweeted out, some people from the Texas media were tweeting out saying, like, if that news dropped earlier in the transfer portal, it probably saw more people move because if mm-hmm. it it's similar to the wide receiver run in the NFL, where it's like, oh, he's making that much. All right, cool. Well, I can make this much, right? Oshan oh, Mathis, who had a good but not great year last year, um, kind of a reliable pass rusher, not a game breaker by any he's not Kavon Thibodeau or anything. But if I kind of agree with that, if like if it came out early, like in February, that like, hey, they're offering him Six figure, whatever. I don't know the money. the The numbers haven't come out, but if they're offering like high six figures or mid six figures, okay, then like some, yeah, some actual all Americans can be like, oh yeah, I can probably make seven. Then I'm gonna try to transfer, mm-hmm. right? And so it could have been a domino effect. So it by all indica- indications, it is a pretty lucrative deal. It, I, I mean, I don't know. This is the move. It would have. It wouldn't have shocked me if Texas saw this and said, uh, "Yeah, we need that guy. Go splash money." Like it would have been like, "Yeah, that makes sense, right? Yeah. We need a pass rusher. Go, yeah, we'll go get him." I don't know. It's everybody, including ourselves, thought that was kind of nailed on. He was going to he was going to Texas. Mm-hmm. Everything went in their favor, and he ends up at uh in the Big Ten. It's, it's
1: to me, and this may not have any impact on it at all. But to me, it's going to be interesting to see like city dynamics, right? Sure. In a, in a town like Austin, that's growing, it count ca- common sense why you you imagine that that would lead to great nil opportunities. Mm-hmm. But it may be the opposite. Oh. Where, like, Oracle and those type of places, Dell, you know, right. they're not really looking for NIL stuff. But, right. like, in a town like Omaha, Nebraska, right. maybe there are opportunities with car dealerships mm-hmm. and different places. There's more localized advertising opportunities mm-hmm. rather than big, big cities. And, and, it, with
0: some, and with, like, you know, Nebraska with a booster base that wants to get back to being what right. they are. And, and, I mean, and that's the, the most Texas important does, thing you know, to Texas them boosters and, don't want to, but they're, I don't know. It feels like Nebraska will be more into, like, the individual splash of, like, you know to to getting back to that really quickly and texas
1: always like to be high horsey and like we do it the right way we're not paying kids and so it's just a shift in dynamics you're going to have Mm -hmm. to start being like look at that that stuff doesn't work anymore right you got to just give these kids you know like if you want them you got to go give them money yeah and uh it yeah it's uh something's got to be done because it's uh i'm all for the players getting paid and all that kind of stuff but there has to be some kind of like oversight like you know this is like you know they this is a market somehow. without regulation right, right. like yeah. i think we've seen in every other market that like that doesn't doesn't necessarily work too well i think the yeah.
0: NCAA, i think there was some news i think ross dellinger tweeted out that there is some like something coming soon right, right. right. they're mm-hmm. going to meet on this yeah. soon um they were like okay we'll let them have their fun for one year and then they're gonna be like all right we actually got cool. it but you can't put it back in got no 100 and that no, exactly. that's the
1: problem if, if yeah. they had come out with like real guidelines and real expectations on how this would work it right. wouldn't have been perfect but it would have been better mm-hmm. but they try to bury their ha- head in the sand for a year and now they're like well we can't that's that didn't work surprisingly so like right. now what do we do and well, it's like well what can you do now right like, it's it's already happening without you now so um yeah i mean it's like if you have a teenager Mm-hmm. And you don't give them a curfew their junior year. You can't come back their senior year and right. be like, "Well, I want you here at 10 p.m." So yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Just no laugh yeah. at you. Yeah. I <laughs> live here. Anymore, <laughs> right, you know? right. I live with my girlfriend across town. <laughs> so yeah, I I just I, I feel like they just waited way way too long, which is you know kind of the common theme with NCAA.
0: Very true. Um. Anyway, one more thing on the transfer portal. Uh, Brian Fisher tweeted this out. Uh, noon today. We're recording this on Wednesday. Um. Source NCAA D one council will discuss and likely vote in two weeks to waive 25 man counter limit in football. Notably, this is a waiver and in its current form will be just for the next two years. Coaches will be able to go above the 25 to 32 limit as soon as the end of the month. So what that means is you're allowed to bring in 25 new bodies every off season, right? That can go up to 32. If you have up to seven departures on your in, as far as the transfer portal or whatever, What this is doing is basically saying, yeah, there's no – for the next two years, they're more or less saying, yeah, there's no limit anymore.
1: Yeah, if you got 33 spots, you can go fill 33 spots.
0: Right. Like you – yeah, as far as like – because, I mean – Group of five teams, they'll they lose so mm-hmm. many guys to the well, well let's, it's take, it's, let's it's, take SMU for an
1: example. Go for it. yeah. Right? If you if Rhett Lashley walks in there and they lose 20 25 guys off their senior class mm-hmm. and then 15 20 guys because of a coaching change on a transfer deal or whatever, you could be going into a spring practice where you have 35 scholarship guys, sure. And if you can only sign 25 plus seven on top of that. You know, you're going to enter the season with 52, 53 scholarship players. That's impossible. You can't do it. So you have to, if the transfer portal is going to be what it is, you have to give coaches the ability, especially if these COVID year guys start falling off. Mm -hmm. You have to give them the ability to get right back to 85, not for their own benefit, but for the health and safety of college Mm -hmm. athletes, right? Because it is an unhealthy sport to play at 85 scholarship limits. If you only have 60 dudes on your roster, like, you're you're asking for trouble you're asking mm-hmm. guys are gonna have to play way more snaps mm-hmm. in practice and in the games injuries happen this isn't the NFL where you have like a practice squad where you can feel you know pull people up to the mm-hmm. 53 man or whatever these are you know 18 to 22 year old kids so I, I do think that this is a rule that ha- you have to put you have to get a portal period going you know yeah. where there's like only two three week periods where you can enter your name into the portal yep. and then you have to give coaches the ability Uh, to replenish their cycle because like in theory, right? Like let's, I'm just using SMU because they have a new coach, but even like a Texas tech, Mm -hmm. let's say they went through the spring and everybody at Texas tech decided they hated Joey McGuire. Right. And And like 30 of them left into, well, what would he be able to do? Right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to do anything. Mm -hmm. Right. And so college had NCAA had to do something to allow these teams to get as close to 85 as possible, or you were going to have some wonky wonky rosters this year.
0: Yeah. On that uh, we were talking about before the show, how does that in the transfer portal kind of affect kind of what we think of spring ball, right?
1: Yeah. I I don't, I don't think spring ball exists in the way that we see it in two or three years, because you know, I was, I was at Houston talking to Dana Holgerson. Mm -hmm. Well, they lose 20 to 25 guys, their senior roster. So they're going into spring with, let's say 20 or 60 scholarship players, right? Let's say 10 of them leave for transfers. Mm -hmm. Now you got 50 scholarship players. Well, you're not going to go and, like, bump heads for three weeks when right. you've got 50 scholarship guys, you know, and you got two of their players that got hurt with ACL, MCL injuries that are going to be out for probably probably the year. I feel like with the dwindling numbers of scholarship guys you're going to have on campus in that spring because so many guys are going to be in the transfer portal that you just don't have enough bodies to have spring practice in the way that we see it, mm-hmm. where it's going to turn into OTAs in the NFL where you're just – wearing helmets and doing install and doing your off-season workout program. Right. But you're not having a spring game and stuff because you just you just literally can't. We saw it at Texas this year. Yeah. They didn't have a spring game mm-hmm. because they didn't have enough offensive linemen to shuffle through in terms of a game. And that's mm-hmm. because of the transfer portal. Yeah. And so you just, you're not going to have the numbers to hold a spring practice in the way that we did 10 or 15 years ago. It's just going to be OTAs in the NFL. And I honestly think the pandemic showed coaches they didn't need it anyway, mm-hmm. that we sure. can get everything done. In July and August, that we need to. Mm-hmm. You know, spring practice is really just a way that we're getting ourselves hurt.
0: Sure, and I think that one of the things that I've, I do appreciate that the UIL does in particular with football, um, which I think I wouldn't be opposed to seeing the NCAA adopt this, which is you can have spring ball, and it's optional, or you could skip spring ball and start fall early, mm-hmm. right? And I think typically when you see new high school hires, you know they'll they'll choose to do spring ball. Or you, I kind of see the logic in both, right? If they're a new hire, they'll choose to do spring ball to get around the kids more, and you know, kind of install some stuff. Or they might just want to get everybody in the same room in, in the fall and just start there, and, and you go from that point. But but like, if you're Nick Saban, do you really need spring? Yeah. Right. Right. If you if you if you're Dabo Swinney, do you really need spring? Like, and it, for the sake of like. Okay, sure. You want to see Kade Nick Obviously, if you get like an yeah, early drill, right, right, exactly. But like, do you really need like a full spring practice mm-hmm. concluding with a spring game? Right. If you're those coaches, right? Joey Maguire probably. You know, if you know numbers yeah. and all that stuff aside, he probably wanted to be out there for spring. Mm-hmm. Right. It probably values. It probably benefits him more to just be out there because he was letting, especially because he was letting Sonny Cumbie kind of do his thing in the fall. He was kind of a distant figure, so this is his chance to kind of get in front of the guys. But. Mm-hmm you're probably just really waiting for the fall I mean like yeah. so you mentioned you don't you mentioned, need pads to do that exactly so. and exactly and you mentioned SMU and I'm gonna mention Texas state as well where it's like they have guy they have like 15 20 guys coming in in the summer yep and it's like okay cool so your depth chart could just completely just mm-hmm. be different yeah. and it's yeah. been another. Magazine
1: headache. Exactly. Know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, coach, can I get a depth chart? They're like, sure. But uh, it's going to change tomorrow. <laughs> this is gonna, like, I
0: was about to say, seven of these guys are not going to be here. I'm not allowed to
1: talk about the guy who's going to be starting. At, you know what I mean? You're just like, okay. Uh, but yeah, I just, and then the other part of it, and this is a little bit selfish, but I, I think it's, you know, like human nature to think about why do you want to develop kids in the spring that are just going to go hit the transfer portal? Yeah, right. Exactly. Like if right. you're Texas a good and point. you got like a backup offensive guard that you're like working on to mm-hmm. get these things right. And now you get hit his transfer portal and he's at Texas tech. Right. It's like, yeah. why, did, why did we do that? Right. <laughs> we just <laughs> yeah. spent all this time. Right. Like, no, <laughs> no, I just, I, I think if the transfer portal stays as prominent as it is, coaches are going to be like, look, what, why am I practicing with a team? That's 60% of what we're actually going to have in the fall. This mm-hmm. is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I think it just slowly falls and falls to, you know, where, you know, and you'll have the crowd that's like screaming about like the world isn't as tough as it used to be right. when they were like mining and coals in 1942.
0: or whatever. $7 for college. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, like when they couldn't breathe air or whatever. I don't, <laughs> right. I don't know.
1: But like, it's going to be a more efficient, safer way to do college football. Sure. and It's not going to drop the level of play any, sure. you know, like teams now would crush teams from 1965. Right. right so right. Like, like rice, The Rice's 4-18 would be like the National Championship 1962 (laughs) Texas Longhorns (laughs) or whatever. So, you know, it's not hurting the product. It's just a smarter, safer way to go about doing it.
0: 100%. By the way, I don't know if I said that. It was Brian Fisher of Athlon Sports that had the uh, scoop on the um, 25-man waiver coming. So uh, he also said that uh, the council is also set to discuss some changes to allow conferences to determine conference title game teams. So in particular, this will be for the Big 12 who will have 14 teams. And the Pac 12 as well, who want to actually go away from divisions, um, which, as you mentioned before, the Big 10's kind of been a victim of one division being way more competitive <laughs> than the other yeah. and often having a pretty bad conference championship game. So I think I'd be, and that used to be the problem with the Big 12 too, where it was right. like it was Texas and Oklahoma mm-hmm. and then. Versus Colorado yeah. or whoever, Kansas State, right? Or, exactly. And yeah. in the nineties, it was fine because Nebraska was there and all that. But like when those teams fell off in the early two thousands, yeah, it was like unless Kansas State beat them, that was kind of it. <laughs> and then for when it came to the North, so yeah. Uh, anyway, that's all we got for headlines. We're just gonna go and jump right into our interview with head coach Casey Keeler. Um, yeah, like I said, we we finished with the FBS. We're gonna start. I think this is the this is the right guy to start off with for right. FCS. I, I think this is the perfect. Uh, personality. And we we
1: mentioned who should be number two in the interview. Yes. Yeah, yes.
0: So. Oh, okay. Nice. So so um, yeah, we'll just get right into it, and we're gonna hope to continue this series now, and we'll see how far we go. Maybe we'll throw some D two in there as well. Who never knows? We got a Ooh. got a David Bailiff over at Commerce now. Yeah, my some... g- Hey,
1: we'll we'll be definitely be getting him. There you uh, go. <laughs> I used to do the Rice section when he was the head coach ah, at Rice or whatever. Okay. So, Like I've known him since I was like a curly haired. <laughs> 27-year-old report. Hey. Yeah, never
2: mind. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's okay. Anyway,
0: uh, we'll be right back. But first, here's Mike Craven sit-down with Casey Keeler. So here with Sam Houston, head coach, Casey Keeler. Uh, coach Keeler, first off, before
1: we get going, I was talking to head coach at Sam uh, Stephen F. Austin, Coach Carthel, uh, because I do both of your previews uh, for the magazine. Um, and he wanted to know, or he wanted to let you know, he was a little jealous of uh, the budget, you know, that you get at Sam Houston because it kind of gets a little elevated because of the senior discount that you get at, at food stuff. He wanted me to point that out to you.
2: Let me, let me get this. Do they have football, Stephen, at Boston? It's tough to compare when you, I mean, like it's apples and oranges. I know they have basketball, really good basketball. I didn't know they had football. Now I, I love Colby. I mean, I think he's done a phenomenal job. And uh, boy, you know, what a great game we had last year. And it seemed like every game we've had with them recently, has been, you know, just throwing haymakers at each other, and, and I always tell every recruit, you know, all about that game because it is such an amazing rivalry. And you know, for four hours, and I save hate for like World Hunger. Um, I do not use hate a lot, but for four hours, there's two two teams that literally they, they hate each other, and it's pretty cool, and it's one of the great rivalries in the country, and it, it's coming to an end, which is sad, but at the same time, you know, I think. Uh, our move to Conference USA makes a lot of sense, and it's the kind of things you have to do when you're moving up.
1: How much does that help the rivalry to kind of have that good-natured, friendly ability to kind of rib with the other coach? I, I would think that it kind of gives fans some ammo and just kind of makes the game a little bit more fun for everybody.
2: Yeah, I think people are surprised. You know, I mean, after the the SFA game this past year, uh, my wife and I spent time with Colby and his wife. Uh, you know. Uh, in the parking lot, you know, uh, where the buses weren't too far away. You know, he was hopping in his personal car home. While I was hopping in my personal car home. And, uh, you know, we just sat and talked for 15, 20 minutes. So uh, a lot of respect for what he's done there. Um, and I know he has a lot of respect for what we've done here. And, um, you know, I just think he's a really good football coach. And that program keeps on getting better and better.
1: I was doing some some research on you, and I, and I was looking at your hometown, but I have no idea how to pronounce it. How do you pronounce uh, your hometown.
2: Is it am i? How do you even say it? E- Emmaus. 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 Okay. Back in the day, they called it Emmaus, but it's called it's known as Emmaus. Very Pennsylvania Dutch. That's okay. uh, kind of uh, that area is very Pennsylvania Dutch. It's a Lehigh Valley area. Uh, it's about maybe, you know, an hour above Philadelphia. Uh, so that's where, you know, I coached it. Rowan University in South Jersey and then I coached at Delaware and so I've kind of been in that tri-state area most of my life played at Delaware Um, but you know this has been nine years now here in Texas so I think when you're here nine years I think you can call yourself a Texan.
1: Uh, You may need one more you may may Uh, need
2: it again. I got you. (laughs)
1: You made it get, What was the biggest adjustment or like the biggest kind of culture shock when you got to Huntsville? I don't know. Maybe the food or the people like what was what was different? Well, I,
2: I tell this, this story, you know, uh, John Perry, who's now my offensive coordinator, had just gotten to the Texans when I got to Sam Houston. He was the receivers coach and, and tight ends coach there for seven years with Bill O'Brien. So we got the wives together uh, in the Woodlands. And I remember the very first thing he said to me was, is everyone so prideful that now you're part of texas i said absolutely everyone's like hey what do you think about being a texan and hey you know, this is cool that you're you know living in texas now and then the second thing he said is uh how much weight have you put on i said yeah with mean, all, the, all the barbecue and all the texas and the third thing he said which was very telling he goes did they ask you if this was your first summer I go, yeah. They ask me if this is my first summer, and then they kind of giggle and walk away when I tell them it is my first summer. There's something about these summers. So, uh, yeah, um, and we found out in our first summer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's it's pretty interesting. But uh, now it's again, you know, I, I came the first person who called me uh, when I got off the plane uh, here in Texas with Dick Vermeil. Uh, I was the last cut with Dick Vermeil uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, back in like '82, '83, whatever it was. And um, he said, you're living a dream. You're, you're going to be a college football coach in the greatest high school football hotbed in the nation. And he's right. You know, when I stand on the 50-yard line at, at uh, Bower Stadium and I draw a three-and-a-half-hour radius around where I'm standing, there's no school in the country who can say they have better football than, than we do. And I think that's one of the reasons why we feel very comfortable that the move to Conference USA makes sense because our location is just amazing. And the school just keeps on growing. And the things that have happened here since I've been here, you know, we've gone from 15,000 students to 22,000 students, you know, since I've been here. I mean, the facilities that we've built since I've been here are just amazing. So um, yeah, it's a great place and and I'm I'm proud to be a Bearcat.
1: I imagine you kind of feel the same way when it gets cold and schools start shutting down when it's like 55 degrees outside that we've never had a winter.
2: Well, you know, it's funny, the, the kids all get after me because, I, I'm wearing a sweatshirt at 50 50 degrees. I'm wearing a sweatshirt, and I'm like, "You are a stand- Texan." Oh, I'm not. I can't stand this cold weather. Like, coach, it's 50 degrees. Out. I know it's freezing. Uh, but uh, you know, I still have a, a daughter and 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 grandson back east, and uh, uh, so we get back there, and uh, we try to get you know, the, we we try to all get together at Christmas time. You know, we go to Rehoboth Beach. And we try to get my son comes in from LA, and we all get there, and inevitably, it's like. I couldn't do this cold anymore. Like, I just could not live in the cold. I mean, I'm just so used to this weather now. Uh, so they all make fun of me because they say I've gotten soft. <laughs>
1: um, you know, to go back a little bit, you're a, you a really good linebacker at Delaware, part of a national championship team. What was the scouting report on Casey Keeler, the linebacker, back in the day?
2: Probably the hair undersized, you know, 5'11 and a half, about 215 pounds. Uh, could run. I mean, I could run. I mean, that was the thing that, you know, I was very explosive. I could really run. Uh, and if you knew anything about me, I just loved the game. I just loved the game. I just loved playing. And so uh, I didn't know if I'd ever go into coaching. That was not my trajectory. Um, I met a young lady. I just got cut by the Philadelphia Eagles for the second time. Decided that like I was done playing football. I mean, I last cut four times in, in professional fo- football. And I took a job interview up in New York City, uh, selling paper products. And I came back physically ill. I mean, I was physically ill from coming, you know, and, and my then girlfriend now wife uh, said to me, She goes, You can't do this. She's you 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 want to coach. And I said, Well, I kind of think I do. And so she found a grad school for me. She actually put me through grad school and I got an opportunity to, to coach there then Glassboro State, now Rowan University, they changed names. And I then became the head coach there. And then with the success I had there, I got the opportunity to go to the University of Delaware, my alma mater. So yeah, my, my wife, I, I remind her when, when she complains about, you know, me not being home or, you know, the hours I'm putting in, it's like, remember, I could have had me selling paper products, but instead you decided that you're going to put me through grad school. So you play at
1: Delaware, right? And then you come back and coach at Delaware. I guess what are the kind of pressures of following kind of a legendary head coach there that you played under? And it's your alma mater. And you're changing offenses from the wing team to the spread. Kind of what was that time like in your career?
2: Well, I mean, I would pinch myself every day that I became the head coach at my alma mater. I mean, I would literally pull up to the facility and just pinch myself. It was so cool. And, and, you know, following a legend is hard. I mean, I think it's harder than anyone could even imagine, especially when that legend sits right behind you on game day Um, and the field is named after him. I remember the very first game I coached, they said, oh, by the way, we're going to name the field after Tubby. Uh, Tubby Raymond was the guy I I played for. And I'm like, my first game, we're going to name the field after Tubby. I said, well, who are we playing? We're playing Georgia Southern. They're number three in the country. Okay, so I'm coming off a team that just went four and six, a team that we're going to totally changed the offense, complete different skill And we're looking for them, what the wing T is. And I'm bringing a brand new defense into basically the whole staff is going to be brand new. Um, and my last time I coached a game was as a division three coach. I'm now, you know, an FCS coach, a lot of moving parts. And, but you had to win that game. I mean, you, you literally for the, for the trajectory or for the, for the legacy of Delaware football, you had to win that game. And we did. We found a way to beat Georgia Southern, number three ranked right team in the country opening day. Um, and I think Tubby was shocked because they had gotten beaten pretty pretty good the year before down at their place. Uh, but it was just one of those games where when you're naming the field after a legendary coach, you had to win that game. And we, had, we found a way to win that game.
1: I remember what I was going to ask you. you. You had mentioned uh, getting cut a few times in your professional career. You know, kind of what was that like? What do you remember about those times? I mean, did it, did it depress you? Did it challenge you? Kind of like, what, what, what was that kind of, I guess, process like for you as a person?
2: Well, I was very proud of the fact that I transitioned from a 218-pound linebacker to 188-pound safety and went down to the last cut where they cut a fifth-round draft choice and cut a veteran before they cut me. So I mean I was very proud. I mean I you know it's kind of I'm am a glass half full guy. Um, I look at life maybe a little differently you know. And so obviously I wish I had made the team, but I was very proud and I knew I put everything into it. I mean I couldn't have any, done any more reps on the on the bench press. I couldn't have done any more sprints. I couldn't you know couldn't have studied more film. You know all those things. I I remember getting up at five in the morning to put myself in ice baths up to my neck just so I could you know make sure I wasn't going to miss a practice. Uh, so yeah I mean. I'm, again, that's how I kind of look at life. And and I look at like, what a great experience. And let's move on to my next chapter in life. And that's what I did.
1: Now, speaking of experience, what are, you know, one or two things that went on in a 1980s NFL training camp that may get you put in jail if you try to do nowadays?
2: Yeah, I don't know if I can even say the things. Uh, Yeah, well, first of all, you know, you're we started training camp like July 8th or so. And I got cut like September 1st. I mean, you're you're like in training camp forever. Yeah, so this is Dick Vermeil, and everything is organized. Everything is, I mean, and we're going we're going the finishing meetings like eleven o'clock at night. You know what I mean, it's all day. it's every it's it's double sessions. and And I can remember my roommate was a guy named Wes Hopkins, who ended up being a NFL defensive player of the year, um, you know a year or two after they drafted him. And he pulls his hamstring. Uh, the very first, either first day of training camp or just before training camp started. And so I'm just getting the daylight beating at me every single day. And I'm waking up and this guy's driving a brand new Porsche 928. And he knows he has the teammate. And I just wanted to, I wanted to like strangle him, but he was such a great guy. He was a great guy. And and, uh, so, but yeah, there was a lot of shenanigans that took uh, place in the training camps when, especially when you have a group of men kind of sequestered, Uh, for almost two months. I mean, it can be kind of crazy.
0: Yeah,
1: no social media or any of that kind of stuff to get it leaked out there. So, you know, secrets will die, I suppose. Uh, And then, you know, you, you leave Delaware, you come to Sam Houston, you know, we kind of talked about that transition to Texas. Like how quickly, and maybe it was before you even took the job, how quickly did you know, like, we can really, we can win championships and build this into something that, you know, maybe people before didn't know Sam Houston could be.
2: Yeah, I was commentating for ESPN. I think a lot of people thought I was gonna write off into the sunset and and doing that. I was working for NFL films and the matchup show and I was having fun, but it wasn't being around the fellows. It wasn't like trying to put a team together. It wasn't about the community, you know, so. um, But when Bobby Williams recruited me to come here, we talked about national championships. Uh, I mean, I was like, listen, I have no interest in doing this unless that's the vision of the program. And, you know, I remember my very first press conference at at Delaware and David Rosell, the president said, listen, they're coming off a four and six season. You're changing the offense. You're changing the defense. You have a whole new coaching staff. Do not like promise them anything. And I got up there and said, I'm here to win championships. I said, national championships. And I said, we will win them sooner rather than later. And Dr. Rosell, I mean, you know, this, this was a man who was president at University of Kentucky at one time. Brilliant individual, brilliant. Said, why did you do that? And I always tell people, I don't recommend like you disobeying your boss within the first 30 seconds of being on the job. But I said to him, listen, I said, in the back of that, inter- in the back of that press conference, there was 80 football players that wanted to hear what my vision was. And I wasn't going to tell them we're going to rebuild. I wasn't going to tell them that, hey, maybe in four and five years. I said, no, they needed to know that I wanted to win right now. And I did the same thing when I got here to Sam Houston. I said pretty much the exact same words. I said, "I'm here to win a national championship, and we will win it sooner rather than later." And again, I felt the same way. I saw in the background, I saw all those you know players wanting to know who's this, who's this guy from these coast, who's this new head coach. We just lost a really successful guy that took us to two national championship games, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. And who's this guy? And what what's his mindset? And I wanted to let them know right up front, you know. It's not OK to be OK. That's not the world I live in. We're trying to be national champions. And so I, I set the standard. And, and I think, you know, people sometimes can get um, I, I put this way. I, I apologize to, to the staff sometimes when I say, listen, guys, I know it put, it put us under a lot of pressure. I said, but you know what? I mean, really, you're, you're under pressure no matter what. So me saying that the goal of the program is to win a national championship. Trust me, overall, it's a it's a good thing versus a bad thing but just understand you have, that's the mentality we have now moving into the conference USA. I mean, the goal is to, to go be a bowl winner and try to get to the highest bowl you can. Um, so yeah, I, I have no problem setting a high standard and, and trying to get our guys to live by
1: it. You guys went 21 and one in, in the calendar year of 2021, you know, probably the, the most accomplished, you know, calendar year in football, college football history, you know, in five, 10 years, what do you think you'll be the most proud of for that group and just, everything that they were able to accomplish, not only just on the field, but I'd imagine behind the scenes is playing 22 football games, going through two training camps. That can't be easy.
2: No, it's something a book could be written on. I mean, people don't realize unless you've studied what we did, that we also did this without a locker room. You know, our facility being rebuilt. And so I remember Bobby Williams saying to me, hey, you know, we're we're redoing this facility. And the only time to do it's in the spring. Your players have to do their own laundry. We got it your players are going to have to like take their equipment home. We got it. Game day, we're going to have to put them up in the weight room, you know, and they're going to have to walk down the visitor's side. We got it. I mean, it was just one of those things where every obstacle, every adversity and every obstacle became an opportunity. And so that's what I'm most proud of, of all the things that we worked through. We lost our offensive line coach and defensive line coach 30 days before the start of the season. You know, we had an historic snowstorm that there's no, I don't know if you know this, there's no snow shovels in Huntsville, Texas. I had to go buy feed shovels at the local feed, feed and grain store. And it took us four days to shovel out our practice, our game field so we could practice. So there's so many things that we went through that just brought us closer and closer and closer together. And so it was one of the most remarkable experiences of my life. On top of that, we're going through COVID. And so, you know, you're getting tested three times a week and, you know, going through all those things. And, you know, if I, my players heard the word COVID protocol one more time, they're going to strangle me. So that that whole experience was really just it, it something a, a movie made out of. It's something, uh, it's a storybook sort of situation. And uh, for us to have, you know, what we consider the greatest calendar year in the history of college football, winning three conference championships. Think about that. We won the Southland in the spring, won the WAC in the fall. And then we won the A-Sun WAC Challenge for the automatic qualifier. No one's ever going to win three conference championships in a calendar year. No one's going to win 21 games on a calendar year ever again. So I told our players, you know, 10 years from now, when we come back for our, you know, reunion, um, we're going to be the ones who built this place. And we're going to be very proud of of what we did. And there's going to be 30,000 students at Sam Houston. And they're going to be playing big time college football and uh, it's going to be exciting and th- to know that we were part of the impetus to kind of move this program forward. And
1: Before I let you go just a couple of uh, kind of quick fun questions I saw a picture of you when you were playing and you had a pretty awesome mustache that I'm jealous because I cannot grow facial hair in that manly of a way. Have you ever thought about bringing that back, you know, like maybe for the last Battle of the Piney Woods or something.
2: Yeah, that probably would stimulate a divorce immediately. So we, I think there's a clause in my contract that says mustache, divorce. So no, my wife does not want to see the mustache back. I've tried to bring a goatee back a couple of times, but some grays come in here. And so she's like, you look like an old man. Like, you look ridiculous. So I've, I've stayed away from it for the most part.
1: And as we've established, she's responsible for your career. Uh, you're going to have to listen to her and absolutely and that, right absolutely. Uh, this is one of the first times i've seen you without sunglasses yeah no
2: ready i got them there we go how many sunglasses do you own oh there was a point where i probably had about a hundred and i put them on my on my desk and so when recruits would come in but i but the reality is i do have sensitive eyes and so i wore sunglasses. Uh, in 2003, won the national championship. The lights were just like, you know, on in my eyes, and, I was, and so I've even worn sunglasses at night. And I get that, you know, whole sunglasses at night sort of thing. Right. But I do have very sensitive eyes, and so sunglasses are an important part of my wardrobe every day.
1: And then, lastly, you know, you're you're one of the few guys that have won a championship as a player and, and as a coach. I'm curious, kind of, how those Feelings compare and contrast what are if there are any differences between the feelings of, of kind of experiencing that?
2: I don't know. You know, I am so ingrained with our players that I think when they win, I'm part of that winning. When when they lose, I'm part of that losing. And I always say when I recruit, you know, when we win, we win. When we lose, we lose. We do this together as a family. Uh, so I've enjoyed I mean, I, one of my great moments was uh, doing the interview interview post winning the national championship this past, in 2021. uh, And my players looking for me and them seeing me across the field and them all running over and beating me up. And I love those moments with, with, with the guys. I mean, because we do share so much time together and there's so many things we do together. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was out of coaching for a year and I, I could have gone on through the, you know, the broadcast world. Um, but I'm so glad I came back to, to coaching college football because uh, I just love the impact you can make on young men and the memories that you can share with them forever. And uh, again, Sam Houston has been awesome to me.
1: All right, coach. I really appreciate the time. And uh, I plan on coming out there in the summer and kind of doing a, you know, big story on kind of the evolution of Sam Houston, you know, moving up into to the FBS ranks.
2: Awesome. Appreciate right. the thanks.
0: Thanks, sir. See y'all later. Thanks again to head coach Casey Keeler of Sam Houston for sitting down with us and keeping our interview series going. Mike, he's a great personality, isn't he? Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, I I thought it was great, so
1: I saved that sunglasses question towards the end because like mm-hmm. I know that's the thing people give him crap about because sure. he was coaching in that national championship game at night with the sunglasses on and just made him look like <laughs> right. one of those dudes that shows up to like an NBA game with sunglasses yeah, on in the first right. row or whatever. So I wanted to save that till the end, like to j- j- jokingly, and then he like had some within reach <laughs> and he puts them like, on. He's like, oh, they're right here, you know, and, like puts <laughs> them on or whatever. And so it, it to me it's always funny when like people like fall into their funny, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Yeah. And he definitely seems. Seems like the type of guy who like he knows what the joke is supposed to be mm-hmm. and is totally down with being the butt of it yeah, and you don't yeah. get that very much with these machismo self-important head football coaches mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, like it's mm-hmm. a very boastful and braggadocious joke, right. and it yeah. almost has to be and he allows himself to be the butt of the joke mm-hmm. and that to me that's refreshing sure and sure. so uh i i really enjoyed i really enjoyed our conversation um and that that year that sam houston had last year is it's one for the books, right? It's I mean, like you literally... to play 23 football games in one year. <laughs> Two training camps, 23 right. football games, win three conference t- t- titles, technically a national championship. You and can't he, get he, better than that. He around, <laughs> he'll he'll openly say When I interviewed him for the magazine, he was like, you know, we had the best college football year of all time. You know, and he, and he said it with no. Right. Like he was, it was dead serious, yeah. right? Like the sky is blue, right? Like <laughs> he right. said it in the exact same way.
0: All right. I don't think he's wrong. I don't think mm-hmm. he is either. Just based off like the conditioning alone to be able to do that, right? To be able to go and play that many football games, high level football mm-hmm. games, not in the like when you talk about the spring, not in exactly in the most ideal conditions for our state, right?
1: Um, you talked about that winter, yeah, like the snowstorm, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, like. Yeah. They didn't have a locker room because the facilities uh, were getting made yep. and they could only do it in the spring. Right. Like, There's just so many things there that was like, it's amazing that he was, you know, they're taking COVID tests three mm-hmm. times a day or week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, There's just a lot of things going on in that year for those guys to be able to kind of like stay committed, stay on task and just roll off wins like that. Yeah. I mean, pretty incredible.
0: And they're, I mean, they were already a good recruiting um recruiting staff and the way they kind of built out Sam Houston and from, from high school and transfers, I mean, mm-hmm. like, they, they're, they, to me they've become the poster child of like, if you flame out, and it might be too harsh of a word, but if you're not maybe living up to some people's expectations somewhere else, Sam Houston was like, we will take you. Like yeah. One, that Eric Fowler from Maynard, five star Texas commit, yeah. you know, he ends up at, he ends up there and ends up being a four year starter for them and it's like, that DJ Foster B.J. Foster's now, going Bonte there would. and he is, he is going to be a stellar pickup because bj foster's problem wasn't that he wasn't good right he was a starter and he was a starting player at the university of texas the problem is he wasn't probably a top 5 player in the in in the country which is kind of what more or less he was rated as coming out of high school
1: and he lost most movement in his shoulder due to injuries mm, that, and stuff that, yeah, you he know, exactly. just like just he's also, he's also kind of a
0: throwback safety too he yeah. wasn't really like a modern cover safety but point is He's going to dominate at Sam Houston. He's, mm-hmm. he's going to be great at Sam Houston. And the fact that they've kind of embraced that that uh, that uh kind of uh, roster building has been impressive. And uh, I was talking to somebody on staff, and they're more or less, because they're moving over to Conference USA, obviously, they're recruiting like an FBS program. He yep. said this past yeah, 22 they class, the they're like, yeah. yeah, no, we're just straight up saying like, yo, you want to play FBS ball? Like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, they're technically in a, in a, a transition year, but like, it doesn't matter. Like They know that the guys that are coming on campus, they're going to be – They're going to be playing at the FCS level. Yeah, yeah. They're,
1: for the long haul, they're going to be an FCS team. And you touched on what I think is going to be fascinating this year. You have a room of guys who are used to competing for championships, mm-hmm. and they can't this year mm-hmm. because of the transition year. They're, they're not allowed – they can go undefeated in the regular season, they're not allowed to make it to the FCS playoffs because they have extra scholarships right. uh, for the transition. Yeah. How will you keep those guys – motivated Mm -hmm. and together, you know, like there will be a few games early on. Like, I think they start with like A and M or something like that. And so, you know, that game will get everybody up, you know, obviously the SFA game, the battle of the piney woods, which this may be the last one. Mm -hmm. Sure. sure. Uh, And so, you know, they'll get up for that, but like, you know, it's late in the season. It's November. It's tied in the fourth quarter. I mean, you just don't have as much to play for. And right. so, like, what will happen with Sam Houston this year and those kind of, like, adversity moments when you don't have that carrot to chase? Mm-hmm. Uh, this will probably be one of the more difficult coaching jobs, I would think, for Keeler. Yeah. Uh, because you're you're dealing with a roster who can't chase the same rewards as they normally would.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. So, one guy that they did lose uh, this past fall, and I don't know, I, I feel like that, you mentioned it, I don't know if that, the having nothing to play for might have factored in his you know, Eric Smith's decision to not go back. Sure. Um, Mallory, what did you have? You had a question about him or kind of his involvement or maybe replacing him? Yeah.
1: Just who's going to replace him. And I know that uh, Craven already put out an article about it and kind of mentioned a couple guys that were transferring in. That might be a good, uh, good filler for him, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I think Jordan Yates, the the transfer from Georgia tech is probably Mm -hmm. the leader. I mean, you don't know until you get him on campus, how good he's going to be or whatever, but you know, he he's probably the expected starter when you talk, when you talk to people there, I mean, they lost a lot, a lot of guys, you know, yeah. Ram- Ramon Jefferson, mm-hmm. most of their offensive line, they had a tailback transfer to Colorado, you know, and, and I do think you're right. I think a lot of that happens because they can't play for anything yeah. this year. Oh, maybe, maybe, one was like, I'm, right. Oh, maybe those here? guys kind of reload for one more push right. if they can go win a national championship. But if you can't, you might as well go um, to the bowl level. So, you know, they have a lot to replace, but you know, Eric Schmidt's one of those guys and I, we probably give too much credit to quarterbacks most of the time, mm-hmm. but the, sometimes they're just synonymous with your football program and they're the guys you kind of look towards, you know, to be your leaders. And they've been there before and they've played so many football games. And Schmidt was one of those guys where he was the unquestioned leader of the locker room. He was an experienced player who had won big games. You don't have that guy anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, who do you start looking to? And so can Jordan Yates kind of step in and be that guy, even if he's as talented, you'd imagine he can't be as good of a leader in year one on a campus as somebody who's been there, you know, Mm -hmm. for three or four years. So, Mm -hmm. I think they their their biggest deal is going to be their lack of leadership that they lost. Yeah. How they replace that and how they kind of stay focused in a season that could be considered football purgatory.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think that when you look at before Schmidt, like it felt like Sam Houston was the type of team that preferred like the immediate fix at quarterback, right? Like you you go back to Jeremiah Briscoe, right? You uh, can get uh, more talent that Right, way. exactly. Rhett Beaumont, right? The, the guys that maybe didn't pan out. Schmidt was like the first one in a while that was like a freshman from, you know, recruited by Sam Houston because I think they even brought in, I forgot his name, uh, Ty Brock, I believe they brought him in, um, and he started. Tech- I think Schmidt's freshman year, he was like the guy that was technically brought in to to come in. and I think they also brought in like Mike Dare from Rutgers, and so like they. I don't think Schmidt was like part of the plan initially until he kind of burst onto the scene. And so I would probably give. I would definitely get the inside track to Jordan Yates just because they have a history of doing that with somebody who has playing experience and is is somewhat more used to the collegiate game. Um, I don't know. If- I don't know if any other backups played enough to where you're. They're probably like, yeah, we can give him a chance, or you know, we feel pretty confident about them. Um, so yeah, I would probably give the, I would definitely give the nod to Jordan Yates whenever he gets on campus because I believe he's not right right now.
1: Yeah, he gets there in the summer. I think okay. June
0: first. I think Key, uh, I'm looking at right now. Keegan Shoemaker was their uh, backup, and oh, he threw only it. threw about forty two passes. So um yeah it wasn't exactly the most experienced uh qb room
1: yeah i mean keeler told me for the magazine preview out uh, of there like 24 starters from last mm-hmm. year they lost about 14 15 you know wow. so i mean they have a lot to replace now they're more talented than a lot of people in their conference and they got extra scholarships this year you mm-hmm. know so they were able to go add transfers like bj foster that maybe they wouldn't have had room for yeah. in previous years uh, but still it's a big turnover on a roster and it's going to be a letdown I'd imagine emotionally in terms of like what you're chasing. And so for me, what's interesting about Sam Houston long term is, is it better or is it easier to recruit to a school competing for FCS national championships or one competing to go to like random bowl games? Sure. You know, yeah. which one, which one, which means one more carries more weight, yeah, right? Yeah. Do you want to play at Stephen F Austin when they're competing for an FCS national championship or at Sam Houston, who's competing for a conference USA championship and maybe a trip to like the Sun Bowl. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know that answer. Sure, sure. And so that, to me, five years down the road is, is this move a net positive or not? Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody knows. I don't know. I I think we all assume that, like, getting moved up means that it's going to be better. But is that true? I don't know. And we'll have to see kind of, like, how the state and how the prospects react to that because you're just another FBS program now. Right. Right? I mean, it's cool doing the transition and all that kind of stuff, but you're no longer Sam Houston winning national championships. Yeah. You're UTEP, yeah, right? Like you're UTSA, you're North Texas, you're Rice. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of get energy and excitement to that? It'll be interesting to see how that program kind of shifts the narratives with with that kind of situation coming about.
0: Yep, something to definitely keep an eye on for them this year. Uh, What's our hint for next week? Well, I mean, he, he, he mentioned the, yeah. yeah he,
1: Keeler mentioned him a few times, yeah. so you know, maybe across town, maybe a cross town rival. Probably stay in the Piney
0: Woods. That'd be great. That'd be <laughs> great because uh, that's another great personality that uh, I think a lot of people in the state probably know about, but haven't really experienced. So, if we get him set up, that'd be great. Uh, but that'll do it for us. I, I texted. I texted Carthel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To like, hey, you want to
1: ask Keeler a question? He was like, yep. Like, <laughs> 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 so those two, like, that's I wish. Great. I wish everybody. Like imagine if Texas and Texas A and M's coaches were like that when the right. rivalry got back to yeah. start, where they're making bets and they're That'd talking be awesome. trash on Twitter and yeah. like how I get we're that's wrestling awesome. fans, right? Yeah. Right? So like it's perfect. It's like theater. that's what yeah. that's what sports is. Like it's not yeah. supposed to be so
0: serious. I think like know? it helps that like I mean obviously Kilo's personality is is who he is, but it helps that like you know Carthel was a D two guy, right? He yeah. no, he hustled, right? They I understand mean, he had each to other. Yeah, to get up there and like you can tell that like. This job for him is like the coolest thing in the world, yeah. right? And so, like when you get to when you get to Sark's level, when you get to Jimbo Fisher's level, yeah, there's too know, much money, right? And exactly. That. Yeah. Like, I don't
1: care, but about it that would guy. make the sport 100, more fun.
0: Hundred one, I'm one thousand percent with you because yes, these two personalities are gonna be so much fun to deal with, and I hope I hope they find a way to keep this series going when they yeah. move off. I would love it, but. Yeah, uh, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, We'll talk to you guys again next week. Be sure to like, subscribe, follow, all that stuff. Rate, review on Spotify and Apple. Uh, For Mike and Mallory, I'm Ishmael Johnson. We will talk to you guys next week.